Hello everyone, my name is Martin Soha. I'm a research fellow in the Center of Asian Affairs at the University of Łódź, which is a university-based think tank monitoring the situation in Asia-Pacific. Welcome back after a long break. A lot has changed in Japanese politics since my last podcast. The most important change probably was a sudden resignation of Prime Minister Abe Shinzo, who was replaced by his chief cabinet secretary Suga Yoshihide. Suga, who is an experienced uh, politician, was a right hand of Prime Minister, Prime Minister Abe uh, for a very long time. After assuming office, he announced, therefore, that he will be following the main policy directions of his predecessor. Unlike Prime Minister Abe, however, uh, Suga has not displayed particular interest in foreign policy and does not have much experience in that area. Today, let's discuss his first steps on the international arena and let's see what can we expect from his foreign policy. At the beginning of October, Japan organized the Quad Security Summit in Tokyo. Heads of diplomacy of the United States, India, Japan and Australia discussed China's growing presence in the Asia-Pacific region and the potential risks involved. Prior to the summit, uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo visited India and Australia, where he mentioned China's malicious activity in the region. Although other members of the Quad Forum refrained from openly criticizing Beijing, the summit had a clear anti-Chinese image. Prime Minister Suga met with other representatives and tried to use the summit to promote the initiative of free and open Indo-Pacific. Quad members agreed to work together in gathering support for the initiative. In the face of the growing trade conflict, the authorities in Washington are clearly trying to use the Quad Forum to further criticize Beijing. During the summit, the Japanese government expressed strong desire of strengthening cooperation with Quad and proposed more regular meetings. So far, Quad was an informal security dialogue which was often weakened by differences in foreign policy of the members belonging to the group. Uh, those members could not work out a common position towards China. The idea of creating an alliance of four states to balance China's position in the region appeared in the foreign policy of several Japanese prime ministers. Quad was initiated in 2007 when Abe Shinzo served his first term as a prime minister. Yachi Shotaro, who was one of the main foreign policy advisors to Abe, advocated the idea of including India in the trilateral security dialogue with Australia and the United States. Yachi was a pragmatic who put a lot of effort into maintaining steady relations with Beijing. Nevertheless, he expressed the opinion that Japan should follow a more direct foreign policy in the Asia-Pacific. He said that the risks of antagonizing China by including India might be a price worth paying for more equal relations. The move was also a part of broader strategy aimed at increasing Japan's presence in Asia. The idea of including New Delhi in the regional security dialogue was supported by Vice President Dick Cheney, who, was, who served in the Bush administration. In February 2008, however, Australian government decided to leave the initiative because of the diplomatic pressure from China. The idea of continuing security dialogue within the for the group of the four countries, did not receive support of the next Japanese Prime Minister, Fukuda Yasuo, 
who represented a pro-Chinese uh, group in Japanese Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Uh, the project of reviving re regional security cooperation came back in 2012 when Prime Minister Abe presented his idea of democratic security diamond. He envisaged a strategy where Australia, India, Japan and the US bases in Hawaii form sort of a diamond to safeguard maritime routes stretching from Indian Ocean to the Western Pacific. In 2015, Abe visited Washington, which resulted in upgrading and strengthening of the Japan-US alliance. In 2017, during the summit in Manila, the members of Quad Dialogue decided to resume regular meetings, pointing to China's growing activity in the South China Sea. The history of Japan's involvement in Quad Security Dialogue shows that the alliance is not stable and cannot be used to promote uh, one's own foreign policy goals. The alliance is also prone to disruptions caused by uh, diplomatic protests from Beijing. However, the events of the last few months has shown an unusual unity among the members of the Quad. Uh, in September, we could see growing tension near the disputed Sino-Indian border in the Himalayas, China's economic relations with Australia have also deteriorated visibly, and we can also observe uh, worsening of Sino-Japanese relations since Suga Yoshihide assumed office. Japanese government plans to revise the security strategy, which raised concerns in Beijing. The National Security Council is debating whether to allow the Japanese self-defense forces to use preventive attacks. Tokyo government is concerned with the increasing number of provocations and violations of territorial waters in the East China Sea. In October, two Chinese Coast Guard vessels entered waters near Senkaku Islands, refusing to leave despite the intervention of Japanese vessels. Those anti-Chinese developments are very interesting in terms of promoting the security cooperation in the region. We could expect that this unity of criticism towards China among the Quad members will not last forever, but maybe it will be enough to secure the stability of the Quad dialogue in the coming years. Now, let the second focus of Japan's diplomatic efforts in the previous weeks was the Free and Open Indo-Pacific Initiative. Let's take a closer look at how the Japanese government and its Prime Minister Suga Yoshida describes the initiative. Uh, Prime Minister Suga stated that the so-called Free and Open Indo-Pacific Initiative is a tool to build peace and prosperity in East Asia. He also said that the cooperation in the Free and Open Indo-Pacific is to bring together countries sharing similar values which are afraid of growing China's role in the region. I would like to focus on two key words here used by the Prime Minister himself to describe this new, this new initiative. These words are, these expressions are common values and peace and prosperity. All right? References to common values in Japanese foreign policy are very, very old. 
they were introduced in 1950s by Prime Minister Kishinoboska, who, by the way, was the grandfather of Prime Minister Abe Shinzo. Kishi put the priority on cooperation with the free countries. The idea of promoting freedom and democracy was later picked up by the pro-Taiwan factions and divisions of Japanese Ministry of Foreign Affairs, which tried to use it as a tool of feeding anti-Chinese sentiments. References to common values were later used by Prime Minister Abe Shinzo during his first term in office, uh, and also they were used by his chief cabinet secretary Shiozaki Yasuhisa, who numerously expressed his support towards promoting democratic values amongst Japan's allies like the United States, Australia, and the European countries. This idea was later developed by the next Prime Minister, Asotaro, with the help of his chief advisor on foreign policy, Yachi Shotaro. The other words used by Prime Minister Suga uh, to describe the free and open Indo-Pacific initiative were our peace and prosperity, which are, are also not new in Japan's foreign policy discourse. The idea of the so-called Arc of Freedom and Prosperity was introduced by As Sotaro in 2006 when he was a Minister of Foreign Affairs in the Abe cabinet. It became a focal point of his foreign policy strategy when he became Prime Minister himself in 2008. In terms of geographic outreach, the range of, these, of this Arc of Freedom and Prosperity was quite extensive. Uh, Minister Aso aimed the initiative at the successfully budding democracies that line the outer rim of the Eurasian continent, forming the so-called ARC. The ARC started from Northern Europe and went through Baltic states, Central and Southern, Southeastern Europe, Central Asia, and the Middle East. The Indian subcontinent then crossed Southeast Asia, finally reaching Japan. The Japanese government tried to use this concept to attract other partners like Australia and India, which were attractive from the perspective of Japan's national interests. Conservative bureaucrats and LDP politicians perceived strategic relations based on universal values and prosperity building as a tool for containing China. Contrary to this way of thinking, the purpose of the arc uh, of prosperity was described differently by Kanehara Nobukatsu, who actually invented the initiative of the Arc of Freedom and Prosperity. A Ministry of Foreign Affairs bureaucrat uh, claimed that it was not aimed at Beijing, but rather at Kremlin. According to Asotaro, the broad territorial range of the Arc was designed to show Russia that Japan could exert pressure in its close area of interest. Another angle of the strategy was the intent of harvesting support from countries not directly involved in Japan's regional security, such as members of the European Union and NATO. The idea of arc of freedom and prosperity lost its popularity when Prime Minister Abe Shinzo was replaced by a pro-Chinese Fukuda Yasuo. When we take a look at the first steps of Prime Minister Suga Yoshihide on the international arena, we can see a lot of continuity and many similarities to the foreign policy of previous Prime Minister Abe Shinzo. The goal of responding to China's growing presence in the region as well as the language used in looking for potential allies, 
allies are more or less the same. Suga Yoshihide promoted the free and open Indo-Pacific initiative during the November Quad Summit in Tokyo. A few days later, Japanese Minister of Foreign Affairs Motegi Toshimitsu visited Mongolia, where he was discussing the freedom of navigation. Last week, new Prime Minister Suga finished his first international visit to Indonesia and Vietnam, where he pledged developing cooperation with ASEAN countries in realizing the idea of free and open Indo-Pacific. In their speeches, Japanese leaders often tried to appeal to common interests and principles like following the rule of law and freedom of navigation. But it was clear that prevailing common interest during those meetings lies in an attempt to respond to the Chinese strength in the region. The strategy of containing China by placing attention on quad security dialogue and the idea of promoting cooperation based on common values and democracy did not bring satisfactory results in the past. The new Japanese government is definitely aware of the instability of the Quad alliance, which may be sacrificed when one of the members decides to improve relations with China. On the other hand, growing tensions in the South China Sea and deteriorating relations with Beijing among all mem members of the group increases the importance of the dialogue in the coming years. The idea of protecting freedom of navigation may also gain traction among partners from ASEAN and European countries. It seems that the strategy of promoting closer security alliance based on values, which has been promoted by Prime Minister Abe and his political allies since 2006, has finally a chance of succeeding. The changed international setting and growing international pressure on China seem to worry the decision makers in Beijing. Suga's visit to ASEAN countries was criticized by China, which saw it as an attempt to bring the ASEAN members into the Indo-Pacific framework being pushed by the United States and Japan. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi uh, visited five ASEAN nations before Suga's trip and said that the United States, Japan, India and Australia are planning to create an Indo-Pacific version of, Na of NATO. The final question which we should ask is about the future of Sino-Japanese dialogue. Does the development of Quad talks and focusing on the free and open Indo-Pacific initiative mean that we should expect a deterioration in dialogue between Japan and China? In my opinion, not necessarily. As I mentioned before, the initial foreign policy moves made by Suga Yoshihide are similar to the ones presented by Abe Shinzo. Prime Minister Abe and his foreign policy advisors were usually very pragmatic and careful in forming their policy towards Beijing. Many of those advisors are still serving the new Prime Minister. We should also remember that within the ruling coalition in Japan, there are politicians and forces who would like to see positive development of Sino-Japanese relations. One such important voice is Nikai Toshihiro, the current Secretary General of the Liberal Democratic Party, who was one of the first LDP leaders to support the current Prime Minister Suga. Nikai often intervened in the past when LDP members were trying to push through the anti-Chinese policies. Therefore, we should not underestimate his influence on the decision-making process. Thank you very much. That's all for today. Thank you for listening and hope to hear from you in the comment sections. 
Have a nice evening and goodbye.